the Penguins took five out of... <laughs> Let me start that over again. The Penguins took three out of a possible four points on their trip to New York and Montreal. And if I sound like I was along for all of that ride, there you have it. What I had in my mind, actually, when I started with five there, is that they dominated five out of six periods. That's what Jamie Alexiak told me last night in Montreal. And, yeah, I flew back this morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com filling in for Mark Madden today. Mark has the day off. He'll be back next week. Alexiak chose to look at it from the standpoint of the periods that they owned, the overall territory that they owned. And I get that. And he wasn't downplaying, and none of the Penguins, believe me, were downplaying what happened in the third period in New York. It was a mess. I described it in my column today maybe three different times as a debacle. That word gets misused a lot. It wasn't in that case. That was just a, a joke, what ended up happening there at the Garden. But I'll tell you what. Out of these last 48 hours... I honestly believe that the Penguins are going to be better and stronger for what occurred. Not just from the you know the standard, oh they learned their lesson, they'll be a lot tougher for it if you it, it it's that but it's also some more tangible things. I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. Mike Sullivan had an option after the game in New York. He could have reamed them out right there in front of all of us. He could have, you know, given the the Michelle Terry and, oh, these guys, they soft speech. He could have done that. And you know what? Especially in front of the New York media and everything, it would have played huge, right? He didn't do that. He said very matter-of-factly that that third period's not who we are. Okay, so it sounds like he's just kind of letting it go, right? So they fly to Montreal overnight. That's the way those things go on those charters. And there's no morning skate uh, at the Bell Center. Everybody kind of, you know, they sleep in to some degree. But he calls, Mike Sullivan does, a team meeting at the hotel. He has them come down, assemble in one area, And they went over the New York game. They went over it. This is at a hotel. This was over a thoroughly meaningless, or at least close to it, outcome or result for the Penguins. He could have just let it go. I mean, think about this. Since January 1, they've all been tremendous. They had just won four out of their previous five. They just had that beautiful game against Dallas. He could have just said, you know what, it's one period, just let it go. But that's not who he is, and not because he's a hard-ass or whatever. It's not that. It's that he finds and seizes opportunities for real teaching moments. He won't just look at the scoreboard. He won't even just look at the shot clock or the advanced metrics and say, you know what, I think we're doing okay here. He saw one thing that ended up being a collective for the entire group and said, I 
I, I can't risk this happening again against another crappy opponent the next night. The Rangers, uh, what two-thirds of these guys were Hartford Wolfpack. The Canadians, I don't even know who these guys were. Looking around at their roster, I, who were these people? Even the players they do have, Carey Price or whatever, they, they weren't even playing. He couldn't risk it happening again because then they have four days off, and now you got to think about it. And then they're going back up to the island next Tuesday, and you're going to face a desperate Islanders team. He wanted to cut it off right then and there, so he did. He had this meeting. They get to the Bell Center. Sullivan has this uh, this media session with the the five billion French reporters and everybody and everybody gathered around him. And I asked him. Again, giving him that that opportunity. You know, I'm not trying to egg him on or anything. I want to give, if he has something still to say about the New York game, let's hear it. So I say to him, Mike, is there anything at all to be gained from addressing the New York game today again with your players? Now, I ask this having no clue at the time about the hotel thing. And he proceeds to say, yeah. There is. And he talks about the hotel meeting. Brought it up for the first time. Tells everybody. And you tell the French-Canadian media that is telling everybody. Because it's now, it's not all over Quebec. It's all over Canada. It's all over the, the hockey world. He didn't embarrass anybody. He didn't publicly criticize anybody. He said that our leadership needs to take care of it. He didn't criticize his captain. He didn't criticize his alternates. Said they need to take care of it. There needs to be some accountability from within. It can't just be me coming in here and yelling at everybody every day. And they go out there, the Penguins do, and they, they looked awful for the first 10 minutes, okay? And, and, and in fairness here, Montreal, which doesn't really have any players or whatever, they at least skated really hard for the first 10 minutes, and they got one lucky goal, another good goal. And it looked like this was going to be... You know, oh no, you got to be kidding me. Not after a meeting at the hotel. There's no way they're going to lose this to these guys, are they? Well, they didn't. Because Phil Kessel comes down and scores a good goal off a wonderful pass by Brian Rust. They all start feeling it a little bit. They outshot Montreal 37 to 14 for the rest of from that point onward from the time that it was 2 nothing in the Canadians favor they gave it everything they had they put it all out there i don't care who the opponent was i don't care really that much about what the circumstance was but mike sullivan sent them a message again not so much from the intangible oh no we need points immediate type of thinking he sent them a message that look if you're okay all 20 of you, with what happened in that third period in New York in which all of you participated and all of you were guilty, then that's a very real problem because that's not going to allow them to have any success in the playoffs, never mind winning a third consecutive Stanley Cup. That's what the broader point was. That's why he's Mike Sullivan. That's why he's a championship-level elite, to use one of his favorite terms, coaches in the National Hockey League. Because he saw something that might have looked like it was this big to us, 
but he has his pulse on the finger of that locker room. He knows everything that's going on in there. Jamie Alexiak, to conclude this, told me after the game last night, and remember, Alexiak started the season with another team, and he was playing for Ken Hitchcock, totally, totally different kind of coach. And he said that he'd never really seen a guy like this. He knows when to push you, and he pushes you hard. But when he's doing it, you don't feel like he's your enemy. You feel like he's doing it to help you. And sometimes some coaches will say things like that, and you think, ah, they're they're full of it. With Sullivan, he gets these guys to believe and to understand he's actually with them, even when he's being harsh or authoritative or even away from a public setting, critical. He'll let them know. He'll let them have it. That's I'm telling you, the number one reason that I believe that the Penguins have a chance at winning a third consecutive cup is because they have this man behind the bench who won't accept the fatigue excuses, the back-to-back excuses, the idea that other teams, he hates this one, are faster and younger. He hates when somebody suggests that the team's faster than the Penguins. He just thinks the Penguins can just skate harder. And actually, they probably can. I believe that he believes that they can win a third Stanley Cup as presently constituted. And because he believes it, I'm positive that the players themselves believe it. And he handled these last 48 hours absolutely beautifully. Take it from someone who was there for both legs of that trip. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Would love to hear from you on this subject. Anything at all related to the trip, these last two games that might have bugged you, that you might have liked, and what you thought about it as a whole. Because let's be honest, I'll tell you this, when I got on a plane for New York when this trip started, before this trip, I thought, wow, here are two most meaningless games I'm going to cover. Like, in any sport all year long. And I honestly don't think they were. 412-333-9939. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com sitting in for Mark Madden. Here on your home of the Pittsburgh Penguins, 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Mark? A lot of gibberish, a lot of booze, a lot of public urination. The X at 105.9. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com sitting in for Mark today. Mark will be back next week. Just has the day off. I think he's going to see Michael Schenker, right? Yeah, Michael Schenker. Mark gets around to see a lot of shows. you got to admire the passion that he has for the bands that he loves. It's not enough to just put the tunes on. He goes out and sees them. I did something similarly insane last year when I went over to Ireland to see the 30-year glorious reunion of the Vapors, the group that brought you Turning Japanese. Actually, a whole bunch of other good songs, too, but that one's the only one anybody knows. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We're talking about the Penguins trip. I just came back from the New York and Montreal trip myself and came away really impressed with the sum of the parts, if not, obviously, that third period at Madison Square Garden. Cuz in the car has a reaction to that. What's going on, Cuz? 
How you doing, DK? That sounded really casual, didn't it? What's going on, cuz? <laughs> hey, uh, I just wanted to get your take on the urban myth, I guess you could say, about the two-goal two lead. Uh, we had the two-goal lead uh, in New York, and we ended up losing, and then we got to uh, Canada, and we were down by two and ended up winning. Yeah, you know what? In a normal setting, I'm totally with you on the two-goal lead. There's a there's a reason that coaches genuinely, well, they'll take it, but while they have it, they hate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think it's a two-nothing no, lead, or do you think it's just a two-goal lead? I, first of all, from the, new, from the standpoint of the game in New York, don't give the Penguins the benefit of the doubt for anything that went wrong in the third period. That can't be attributed to a saying or a cliche or anything. They just stunk the place up, and as Chris Letang put it right in front of our microphones, they played like they didn't care. That's there, There's nothing to overanalyze there. The next night was different. I, I think that they still had scar tissue from New York when they took the ice at the Bell Center, and it took them a while to kind of shake that off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, do you think Sullivan kind of threw that in their face maybe a little bit or no? Well, Sullivan had the team meeting earlier in the day, and what he threw in their faces was that that can't happen again at such a mass scale because it speaks badly to the group as a whole, the collective, the leadership. That's what you don't want. That's what you. That's the reason that he addressed it. It wasn't, oh, no, we blew a two-goal lead. Big deal. Chris Kreider scored, made a couple of nice plays. The Rangers showed some speed. That wasn't the issue here. The outcome wasn't the issue. It's the fact that they just pretty much stopped caring as all 20 guys. Do you follow me? Yeah. That's but what he needed awesome. to address. Go ahead. It was, it was awesome how they did rebound, uh, you know, uh, with the Google. Uh, yeah, but again, awesome. I mean, again, it, it sounds like you're looking a little bit too much at outcome. That Canadians team is awful, okay? They actually did what they should have done, Okay. But that's the only point here that I think Sullivan was trying to make here. It, it wasn't results-based. It was right. it was at least be what you're capable of being. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. I appreciate I got to go to another call here. Let's go to Fred Monroeville. You're on 105.9 The X, Fred. Nice to hear a new voice. Hi, Fred. It's also nice to hear your voice as well. What's going oh, on? Quit buttering me up. <laughs> All right. So I, I agree. I, I, listening to you and Cuz talk, I, I agree. But in, in all seriousness, you have a you have a team that knows where they stand in, in the standings. They know what place they're at. They know what they need to do. And? I know they're not accepting of the fact that they're in second place right now. So I guess my question is, is where do... Where are you seeing, or where are the sports announcers seeing where this fell apart? Well, I, I don't, I don't know what you mean by the sports announcers. What does that mean? Well, I, I guess everybody as a whole. Where well, I, I'm, I'm, I, you're talking to one person, and I'm talking to one person. So you're going to get right. my opinion and not somebody else's. Uh, I, I mean, obviously there has to be chatter ab among other people saying, "Well, this, this was just one game." Well, I, I don't have to give you better. chatter from other people. I was in the locker room. I can tell you what the Penguins themselves were saying. They right. they felt that they were cocky. Chris Letang put it in. He actually used that term. 
that they felt Riley Shan brought this up. He said that they had so many easy breakouts through the first two periods in particular that they had all this skating room that they basically thought that they could get away with anything. So it wasn't even necessarily a matter of laziness. It was assuming that what was available to them in the first two periods was just going to stay available. Well, guess what? Elaine Vigneault did change one tactic right. from the second to the third period where he had the Rangers start chipping and making the Penguins defensemen turn around. All of that resulted in the Penguins just basically going, eh. Okay, now we can sit here and berate them for it and overanalyze it, or we can say what Jamie Alexiak said exactly. after the game last night to me in Montreal where he said, we dominated five out of the six periods. We know what we did wrong in that sixth one. Exactly. And they didn't look great last night. Well, for the first ten minutes, what do you want other than a 37 to 14 shots advantage well, after that? Yeah. I, I, that's I mean, pretty great. Obviously, they're still reeling from, from, from the Rangers game. Yeah, that's all it is. I called but, it scar but, tissue. Yeah, yeah, but in, but in all seriousness, I mean, it, it wasn't the – it wasn't the best I've seen the Pens play. Well, you know, you know what? Hockey's weird. When you play hockey against a bad team, you it'll can, it, it's going to bring you. Eh, that's not what I was going to say. It's not going to bring you down in the sense that it that it can in football. It brings you down in the sense that the other team is doing stupid, unpredictable things. Okay, so you're making plays that you would expect to be defended very well. And when they're defended by people who are just kind of all over the place, it creates chaos for the good team too. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And they and the Penguins should play with the mannerism that all these teams they don't care where they are in the standings. These these low bottom end teams. Yeah, this isn't care. about the standings, my man. This is about winning a third Stanley Cup. That was Mike Sullivan's focus. Dave in the car. You're on 105.9 The X. Uh, hey, DK. Um, just want to talk a little pit basketball. <clears throat> Didn't know if you saw the news today. But, yes. Uh, eight uh, transfers. Yes. Uh, th this has got to be the worst job in the in the country, DK. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Okay, tell me which of the eight players you would regret losing. Give me a name. Parker Stewart. Okay, I like Parker Stewart's outside shooting. Give me another name. Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr showed some potential earlier in the season, then he started to lose it a little bit as the season went on. That's understandable. He's a freshman. Give me one more. Stevenson. Eh, I'm not a Shamil Stevenson guy. And I, for that matter, their best player was Jared Wilson-Frame, and I'm not a Wilson-Frame guy either. I don't think he's an ACC-type player. So I thought Brad showed some potential, too. Here's, here's my point. If, if Here's my point. Okay, they... All of them ask for transfers, and by all accounts, Pitt is going to grant them, okay? That sounds like, oh, no. You you sound like a person who watched this team. Youth, I, I did. Okay, youth was not their only problem. A considerable lack of talent among the youth that they had was the real problem. These were not promising players. And, and look, all eight of them aren't leaving. You know that, right? That, that, that's not. not how this works. They don't. They're not eager to go somewhere else and sit out for a year. Okay, so they're they're. Where, I don't. Where are they going to get the talent? Where are they going to get the talent? How closely do you follow Duquesne basketball? Uh, not too close. Okay, well here I'm, I'll give you the I'll give you the twelve second version of it. Keith Dambrot came in 
with the cupboard legitimately bare, unlike what Penn's, our Pitt fans tried to paint about Jamie Dixon, which was incorrect. And he went out and got so much talent that he has five transfers who stayed with the Dukes all season long, who, from what I've heard, can go out next year and supplant almost all of the guys that the Dukes used to bounce back this year. It can be done. You just have to work at it. Don't let your uh, your uh, perception of Pitt's ability to bounce back be painted by Kevin Stallings' laziness. He didn't recruit. He didn't bring any people in. These guys is, are not worth shedding a tear over if they leave. I appreciate yeah, the not- call. I appreciate the call. We have to keep moving here. Zach in the car. You're on 105.9 The X. What's on your mind, Zach? How's it going, DK? It's going really well for a guy who started his day in another country. <laughs> Listen, I just wanted to uh, talk about Sully's use of Riley Shane and really compare him to how Broussard has been doing. So I haven't been able to watch all the games. Um, don't have cable. That kind of limits me. Um, so Broussard is starting to do the little things, and I'm starting to really notice him distribute the puck, make plays better along the boards, uh, see the ice better with his line mates, especially Kessel. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that I've noticed with Shane is that Sullivan is not afraid to move him upfield. No, no, that, then that that's actually where it starts getting interesting. First of all, I'll agree with you about uh, Broussard's performance last night. He's starting to get, I think the the word for it is involved. He's getting more involved uh, in the mm-hmm. offense. He did some of that grinding, and yeah, he he did set up. This was in the Garden. Uh, the 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 uh, goal by Brian Rust coming off the boards there. He's looked better. You can't mess with him. The question that I have, the question that I have, and I appreciate the call, we're going to have to be going to a break, is are you better off trying Shane up on the first line with Sid on a permanent basis? And I say that partly because Shane's earned that, partly because Shan has been now playing with Sid anyway in the third period because Sullivan rightly doesn't trust Connor Sherry out there for defense, but also partly because you never know, man. You know, he's shown some legit skill and speed, and he's bigger than those guys that are getting knocked all over the ice that are playing there with Sid, meaning Sherry and Jake Gensel. Something to think about. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden here on your home of the Pittsburgh Penguins, 105.9 The X. This is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. And it really is hockey talk. That's what we're doing here. You know, it's the flagship home of the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is You would turn to this part of the dial and expect to hear hockey talk. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com filling in for Mark Madden, who will be back next week. And we're joined now... As always on this program at this time each week, by Jason Mackey of the Post Gazette. He covers the Penguins, of course, for my former employer of many, many years. This segment is sponsored by Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two you buy, plus 0% for 18 months at windownation.com. Jason, do we have you? We, you have me. I have you. <laughs> you have some small percentage of me, my man, because I started my day in another country. Uh, don't you hate those? I had that yesterday coming home from New York, where you like your head hits the pillow in Pittsburgh, 
and it, you're like, wait, I woke up in Toronto. Yeah, I woke up. It's just, it's so, it's so trippy. No, and your and your brain doesn't process it at all. Whatever portion of it isn't mush here. Let's talk a little bit of hockey here. The Penguins coming off of three out of four points, five out of six dominant periods. I one problem that I had probably above all, even worse in that third period in New York. I'm not crazy about this Sid and the kids reunion, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what you've thought about Jake Gensel and Connor Sheary. In particular, they seem to be getting pushed off the puck a little easy. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I'm right with you. Um, they certainly, when they were thrown together last year, had a lot more chemistry, it seems like. And, and I just worry about when they go into third periods and, and tight games or whatever, just what Sherry adds from sort of an all-around standpoint. And I, I give Sullivan a lot of props for using Shea up there at, at times. And, yeah, it's it's just a tough situation. Uh, what do you do with Connor Sherry at that point if you're not going to play him next to Sid? I'm fine with Gensel being there, but um, that that trio, you need to find some way to get Sid going, but it just has not sort of discovered the chemistry well, here's that they the th- had. Yeah, here's the thing. And, you know, you can wait, I guess, if you're Mike Sullivan and hope that that chemistry, you know, manifests itself here before long, but... Uh, if and when Zach Aston Reese and or Dominic Simone come back, and you obviously you have the option to move Shane, he's done it as you mentioned in the third periods as well. Here, uh, is it possible that Sherry would just be the odd man out? I think so. I mean, it, it, where else would you put him? I, I really, we'll probably get to to rust with Broussard and Kessel. I really like that trio. Um, you know, you wrote about and, and justly so. Hagelin, Hornquist, and, and Malkin today. I mean, they were tremendous last night, but I wouldn't mess with either of the two. So at that point, you know, Gensel can play either side. If Aston Reese comes back, they look at him mostly as a left wing. And if Simone comes back, he can play either side as well. And I, I think you've got to give him a shot. Well, anyway, here's, and, and, I guess here's the question, and I can hear this echoing from the usual host of this program because he has a pretty strong opinion on this. You've heard he has strong opinions. Yeah, 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 in a, in a strong voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is of the mind that Zach Aston Reese can't keep up with Sidney Crosby on a regular basis. What say you on that one? I I don't feel like I've seen enough of Zach Aston Reese good, bad, or indifferent mm-hmm. to levy an opinion. I, and, and I know what's in there and inside of him or, or you know, what, what one day he might look like right now. I, I'm not ready to say that he can't do it. Um, do I have a few doubts? Yeah, I think a lot of people do. I think probably the Penguins do. But I think he deserves a shot at it um, for simply the fact that there's an open position right there and they don't really have somebody to fill it. Yeah, if, not, um, if nothing else, you would think he can he can do that bull in the look. china shop thing and at least right. go to the front of the net, which none of Sid's current wingers are doing. Yeah, you know, office. yeah. no, give it a look. And, I, you know, I, I also like Simone there as a possibility. I, I don't know who's going to be back sooner, honestly. Maybe you do, but I don't know if it matters. If Simone is back and they're both back in, in reasonable amount of time, I think Simone is a possibility there, too. He's a smart player. Uh, when he's going, I feel like we've seen really good Dominic Simone and really bad Dominic Simone, but the upside is very good. I'm on the line with Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette talking hockey. Evgeny Malkin versus Nikita Kucherov and or Connor McDavid for... Well, right now I'm talking about for the Art Ross. Uh, you know, when you get to the Hart Trophy, it can be a lot of different things. And now the Canadian media is trying to throw into it Taylor Hall 
because, you know, he's been such a big part, obviously, of what the Devils have done. Plus, also, Taylor Hall is not Russian. So, <laughs> oh, come on. It, like, it's not a factor. <laughs> I, I didn't say it's not. I oh. just chuckled. Okay, so what what has to happen for an MVP to be named who wouldn't be Malkin or Kucherov? Like, who else could it be? I, I To me, it just, it, this is why I'm asking, Jason. It looks like it's going to be a legit points race between those two with maybe an edge to Malkin because of recent momentum and recency bias. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, and, and you know what? If Kucherov... Um, finishes with more points and Tampa finishes, let's say, with the best overall record, I'm fine with Kucherov getting it over Malkin. I wouldn't, you know, and, and I'm saying he wins the Art Ross and then the Hart Trophy goes to Kucherov. I'm fine with that. But if, let's, let's just put a, another hypothetical scenario there. Let's say the Penguins win the Metropolitan Division. Let's okay. say Malkin continues this run, um, wins the Art Ross. How is he not the Hart Trophy winner? Yeah, I don't know. At that, um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I have a feeling we're probably, you know, looking at the same playbook here, but, I mean, we watch him play night in and night out. We've seen what changed in him, whatever it was, since the start of 2018. And I just, I can't not vote that player. Well, here's the other argument, Jason, and and you've done this voting and I've done this voting, and, you know, we can get into all kinds of um, advanced analytics. We can use our eye tests. We can use, you know, interviews, uh, comments that we've heard from traveling around the league. At the end of the day, when you're going to get that sheet that they send you, it's going to have points, and it's also going to have goals on it. And Malkin's the only one who will appear very high on both. You know what I'm saying? I agree. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And we can look at you know, the Rocket Richard, and I think you know, in terms of a pure goal scorer, I'm comfortable saying you know, Ovechkin or Patrick Laine or whatever is probably better than Malkin. But all-around player and you know, sheer willing his team to win and, and the value to a team and all the stuff we're supposed to be looking at inside of the heart. Malkin has it, and you're on a team that won its division. It's a two-time cup winner, and this guy playing out of his mind. And talk about, I mean, I think another attractive thing here is making those around you better. And look at what he's done for Carl Hagelin. Look mm. at what he's done for Brian Ross, Patrick Cornquist. Anybody you put him with, he's on the power play. It's the best power play in the league. Um, they, they don't utilize Malkin enough, in my opinion. He's just been so good this season. I, I Kucherov's been great, too, and maybe he overtakes him in the points race, and that changes the equation. But uh, the way Malkin's going, it doesn't happen. And the way Malkin's going, I, I just, he's got to be the favorite, if not the winner. The Penguins are fresh off a 5-3 to three victory last night in Montreal. They have four days off. Um, they... You know, still have a really good chance to win the Metro Division, even though the Capitals have those two games in hand. Jason, given the set of circumstances this year and the fact that Mike Sullivan has never won the Jack Adams Award because of the stupidity of cutting off playoffs whenever they do the yeah. voting for this, uh, is this Mike Sullivan's best job? Is this the best I, work that he's done? Yep, I Absolutely. Why? Absolutely. And I, well, for managing all of the stuff that he has had to manage without freaking out. The beginning of the season, you know it's going to be a slog. You know that you're not going to have the best results. And if Mike Sullivan loses mind, did he, did he go Ken Hitchcock on everybody whenever his team wasn't having the best night in November? No. He kept a greater sense of perspective. And he's continually made players better. 
he's gotten even more out of Phil Castle. He's gotten even more out of Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, well, wait, I thought he was supposed to. Be, I thought he was supposed to totally lose it with Phil, right? Wasn't that all Rick Tockett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tockett. Boy, what a, what a, I don't know, crapload <laughs> of something that, you know, sort of got blown out of proportion. A little bit. A little bit. Um, no, I, I think Sullivan's been absolutely tremendous how he's managed this year. And, and you know, I heard you talking earlier about um, these past 48 hours and team meeting in the hotel. And I just, Never ceases to amaze me, Sullivan. The guy's just tremendous. Um, knows exactly what buttons to push, and it's again, it, it baffles me why he's not in the Jack Adams discussion. And I know that it's like an NHLPA thing, and these things are kind of done haphazardly or whatever. But that survey that went around the league, Sullivan wasn't even on it. No, that's I, yeah. I don't understand. This I, stuff. It, part of the thing with Jack Adams, you know, the, the broadcasters are the ones who pick that, and they they look at it and they say. You know, well, forever and ever, this award has been about the biggest comeback or the biggest turnaround. Okay, well, then call it that. You know what I mean? Yep. Don't say coach of the year. Say coach with the biggest turnaround. I mean, this year, Gerard Gallant's going to win it by, like, 99%. Like, it's probably going to be a unanimous vote, right? Yeah, and I I, under, I guess this year... Meaning in Vegas. Vegas Golden Knights, for those who don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just think it's a crime that you can't say Jack Adams winner Mike Sullivan. I mean, to me, he's one of the three best. Yeah, it's crazy. In the and, and because, the, the crazy part, though, Jason, to me, has always been. I understand why you don't have regular season, you know, more than regular season count in some individual honors. I get that. Not for the coach. The coach's ultimate test is a best of seven head to head with another coach. You know what I mean? Yep. And oh, I know. He's eight for eight. <laughs> you know, That's pretty good. I know. Pretty That's good. all right. And we can talk about, like, X's and O's with Sullivan. We can talk about making adjustments or hockey stuff. We can talk about, you know, the sort of thing we're talking about, or you were talking about with the past 48 hours. I mean, that's not so much X's and O's. as it's just managing your people appropriately and knowing how to handle those situations. And he's just so good at it. And he does it in a stern way, but he does it in a respectful way. And I, I, I love that about him. And I don't think, you know, some broadcaster and, and name X city and, and the Western United States, not to pick on anybody, like they don't necessarily grasp that as much as the people who are around Sullivan every day. No question about that. I have one more for you. This one's a little bit off the uh, the beaten path. When the NHL went into this season, they had uh, announced a breakdown, or not a breakdown, a crackdown, I should say, on slashing and to a lesser extent hooking, but especially slashing. Has it surprised you, A, that it still, for the most part, remains in effect, as we saw again last night, and B, that it had the impact that it did on scoring. I mean, scoring's up almost half a goal from last season, and you'd never heard for 15 years anybody say, boy, if only they got rid of all this slashing, there'd be more goals. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you know what? I I still think they have a long way to go with addressing all of the issues and getting scoring up and not splitting hairs over interference and, and whatever else, but not to stray from the point. Um, I, it, it has surprised me, frankly. I mean, I, I, you've beaten this drum, you've beaten this drum that, you know, the NHL does something for, I don't know, 20 games, and then it sort of dissipates, and then everything slides back to what it normally is. But um, I like the crackdown. I, I wish it was a little bit more consistent. It doesn't feel like it necessarily mm-hmm. is, but if you're going to, if you're going to call it and be a stickler about it and call it for both teams, then I think that's fine. I mean, I think they're doing it for the right reasons to increase offense and, and player safety. And you see the negative 
of what can happen here. So I don't have anything against it. It just so many times with the NHL to me, it's it's things are not as uniform as they should be. Maybe in in the NFL or other leagues where you know you can sort of not make it black and white, but just the consistency factor. Mm-hmm. And um, if they keep it going, they do it for next year and. and try to continue to find ways to juice more offense into the game. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, that's it. it. I mean, you saw Patrick Hornquist get the slash call in uh, in the third period in New York, and he was all mad, and he's barking at everybody, and he's pounding the glass in the penalty box. Yeah. But, but you know what, Patrick? That call right there has helped your team way more than it's hurt it, you know? Yep. And that's like it's like in baseball, complaining about a low strike. But if you're calling it for both teams, the players mm-hmm. need to adjust. And I think, by and large, they have. I don't, you know, you can look at that in a in a vacuum and say it's a horrible call. But I'm with you. In the greater scheme of things, I think it's you're better off calling it than you're not. Than you are letting it go and just turning it into sort of savage stuff. Jason Mackey of the Post Gazette. Appreciate the time. Anytime. All right. That segment is sponsored by Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two you buy, plus 0% for 18 months at windownation.com. When we come back, more of your calls on the Penguins' weird, but mostly okay, and I think ultimately a blessing, trip through New York and Montreal. 412-333-9939. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden here on your home of the Pittsburgh Penguins, 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Big Sexy. Hey, Mark. Love the show, man. You can have the iron sheet to humble one person. Who would it be? Sally Wiggins again. The X at 105.9. The Penguins are fresh off a 5-3 victory last night in Montreal. And I'm here to tell you, as someone who began this day in Montreal, covering that game last night, that they really, really were satisfied about that one. They liked it. They liked the fact that they responded from the 2 nothing deficit in the first six and a half minutes. They liked the fact that they were able to shake off that horrendous third period the night before in New York. But I think what they appreciated the most was that earlier in the day when Mike Sullivan called the team meeting at the hotel and that there was an exchange of concepts and ideas, including in the locker room itself from everything that I was told last night, that they were able to basically back their own word. Know what I mean? They they, they wanted to show that their word meant something, that they weren't just saying something in the afternoon just to say it. They were going to go out and get it done, even when a couple of things, including the Canadians actually getting off to a decent start, went against them. They they wanted to go out and show their best form. And it wasn't perfect, especially early on, especially when Chris Letang had the, the giveaway to lead to Montreal's third goal. But, but the shots from the time Montreal took the 2-0 lead till the end of the game, we're 37 to 14. I mean, I don't care who you're playing, and I know Montreal doesn't have many players left. That's an impressive figure in an NHL road game under any circumstance. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com. I'm filling in for Mark, who will be back next week. The number to call to get in on this conversation about what impact these last couple of games will have. What did you like or not like? 
from this trip. And don't don't go for the obvious. I didn't like that they blew the big lead in the garden. Okay, well, nobody did. What about some specifics? What did you see out there that you liked or didn't? Do you think Sidney Crosby has his wingers? Would, is there anything that would convince you to move Brian Rust away from the third line now that it looks like Derek Broussard and Phil Kessel and Rust are starting to mesh and create some offense? Would you dare mess with that to get Rust back up with Sid? Is that more important? 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I'll tell you what topic I hope you call about. And that is the first line. I've got some rather strong views on the way a couple members of that line are performing right now. And I'll drop a big stunning hint on you. It's not the captain. Because i got to tell you, from the perch of the gondola over the ice last night in Montreal, the captain was doing absolutely everything right. He was making plays that were so good and so advanced that the people he was making the plays for were so blown away by them that they couldn't even respond. 412-333-9939 right after this 30-second break. It's really quick, so call now. We'll get you on right after that. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark here on 105.9 The X.